Good morning. I see visitors. Welcome. I'm Pastor Dan, in the event that you have not met me. My sermon this morning is simply entitled, Yes, But. My text is the book of Genesis, chapter 50, verse 20, and also chapter 45, verses 7 and 8. I have them printed all in the NIV this morning. The outline is also found in your bulletin for your easy reference. Pray with me as I seek God's anointing this morning on my words and meditations. Psalm 19.14 Dear Lord, let the meditation, the thoughts of my mind and the meditation of my heart be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Amen. You know, big things really do come in small packages. And that is so true when it comes to words. Some of the most important, powerful, life-changing words are some of the smallest words in the English language. One of those words is the little word, but. Let's think about how that one word can change an entire life and an entire perspective in a moment. Just think about some of these sentences with that little word. Yes, your daughter was in a terrible automobile accident, but she's all right. Yes, there is a spot on your lung, but it is just scar tissue. Yes, we have completed your audit, but the government owes you money. That little phrase, yes, but, is a classic way of agreeing and yet not agreeing. That little word, but, effectively says that what has been said sounds true, but it is not completely true, or at least not finally true. Whatever falls on the back end reveals the real truth. It is also a great way to acknowledge a negative, but emphasize the positive. For example, that wasn't your best effort, but I know you can and will do better. Okay, so you really messed up there, but you can and will learn from your mistake and move on. Yes, I know this project is extremely difficult for you, but I know you can succeed. This morning we are beginning a sermon that we are calling, Yes, But. I honestly believe it's going to be one of the most practical, relevant, and encouraging sermons you can hear. Now, first, I'm going to throw up some statements, and I simply want you to think true or false. Listen, life is not always fair. Right does not always prevail. Justice is not always done. Things do not always go as they should. If you do the crime, you have to pay the time. Sometimes you pay the time even if you didn't do the crime. Sometimes you get wronged for doing what is right. For most every one of us, at least one of those statements isn't one we just agree with, but one we are living or have lived, and yet we are going to learn that because of God, the sentence is not finished until you read what comes behind that little word, but. Today we're going to look at a man who time and time again paid the time even though he didn't do the crime. This is one of the most unbelievable stories, not just in the Bible, but in history. 
And even though very few of us will ever have to go through all of the wrong, terrible, bad, unjust things that were done to him unfairly, yet in the middle of it all, he could look at the very people that were responsible for doing those things to him and makes one of the most amazing statements. This single sentence really sums up the story of the Bible from beginning to end. Listen to it. Our text, Genesis chapter 50, verse 20 states, You intended to harm me, but God intended it for good, to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. The man that uttered those words was named Joseph. And as we set up his story, let me give you the short Reader's Digest version of his life up to this point. His story begins when he was only 17 years old. He grew up in one of the most dysfunctional families in history. His dad fathered 13 children by four different mothers. Two were his wives and two were his mistresses. He had 11 brothers and one sister, and 10 of the 11 brothers hated his guts. They were actually his half-brothers. He only had one full brother born to the same mother. The half-brothers were a sibling rivalry on steroids. Joseph's mother was his father's favorite woman. So Joseph was the favorite son of the favorite woman. And to make matters worse, his dad gave him the best clothes. Also, his dad made him supervisor over his brothers. And to top it off, God gave Joseph a dream to let him know that one day he would rule over his brothers and his father. And like some politicians, he couldn't just keep that to himself. And when he told his brothers, that was kind of the last straw. Well, now the story gets really ugly. The brothers had been sent off to do a job about 70 miles away, and the dad sent Joseph to check on his brothers. And as he was approaching them, they hatched up a scheme to kill him. And when one brother intervened at the last minute, they decided to throw him into a pit until they could decide what to do with him. About that time, a caravan came along headed to Egypt, and they sold their own brother to these human traffickers for 20 pieces of silver. They then went home and told their dad that a wild animal had eaten him, thinking they would never see him again. Well, then things went from bad to worse. Joseph gets to Egypt and is sold to a man named Potiphar, who was a very influential part of the administration of Pharaoh, the ruler of Egypt. Joseph did a fantastic job managing this man's plantation and handled his affairs with complete integrity. Unfortunately, Potiphar was married to a desperate housewife, and she took a liking to young Joseph. She started pulling the obvious come on, but Joseph refused. She grabbed him by the coat, and he ran away, leaving his coat behind. He is falsely accused and is thrown into prison, where he stays for 13 years for something he did not do. Now Joseph has gone from the pit to the plantation to the prison and hasn't done one thing wrong. But the story doesn't end there because of a man he met in prison. And then Pharaoh has a dream he can't interpret. 
And the man from prison remembered that Joseph had the ability, because of his God, to interpret dreams. He brought him to Pharaoh. Joseph interprets the dream, tells of a famine and how to handle it. Pharaoh, on the spot, hires him to be his right-hand man and makes him the prime minister of Egypt. Now he's called from the outhouse to the penthouse. And now you fast forward years later. Here he is for the first time, face to face with his brothers who caused him all this grief to begin with. His brothers had sold him to human traffickers. Yes, he became a slave in a rich man's household. Yes, he was falsely accused of rape and condemned without even a trial. Yes, he spent years in prison for something he didn't do. Yes, life wasn't fair and justice had not always been done. He paid the price, although he didn't do the crime. But two words changed everything. But God... But God entered in, and this God is doing with you, for you, and to you three things that he did for Joseph that made all of the difference in the bad yeses of life. First, consider that God is achieving his plan for your life. This was not the first time Joseph had used those two words, but God, with his brothers. A few chapters earlier, When he and his brothers had first been reunited and they were confronted with all they had done to Joseph to begin with, he said this, Genesis 45, 7, But God sent me ahead of you. And then in Genesis 45, 8, he says, So then, it was not you who sent me here, but God. Remember, this all started when Joseph's brothers sold him into slavery Joseph now realizes, you sold me, but God sent me. Those two words, but God, changed everything. Their plan was to eliminate Joseph. God's plan was to elevate Joseph. Their plan was to lower Joseph into a pit. God's plan was to lift Joseph onto a throne. Their plan was to desert Joseph. God's plan was to deliver Joseph. Their plan was to sell Joseph out. God's plan was to pick Joseph up. That is why Joseph could say to them, You intended to harm me, but God intended it for good. Now, I don't know what you have gone through in your life or what you may be going through now. I don't know how unfairly you are being treated or how unjust your circumstances are or what kind of bad hand you have been dealt. But here's what I do know. God is saying to you right now, everything is going according to my plan. Every time Joseph thought his life was over, God was just getting started. When God seems far away in your life, He's right next door. When you can't see God, he is moving. When you can't hear God, he is speaking. Understand, this verse does not say that all things that are happening to you are good. Joseph's kidnapping was not good. His enslavement was not good. His imprisonment was not good. What you're going through right now may not be good. But what this verse says 
is that whatever is happening to you, what Satan may mean for evil, God will take it and turn it into good because that is God's plan for your life. God never has to say, well, that wasn't in the script. With God, everything is in the script. In the movie of your life, There are going to be valleys. There are going to be deserts. There is going to be bad times and bad things. But when the movie ends, it will be all for your good. He never has to look for plan B because plan A always pans out. There are three things I have found that God uses to achieve his plan for my life. One, pain. Two, problems. And three, people. Let's face it, both people and problems can be a pain in the neck. But even the bad things of life are a part of God's plan for the good of your life. Let's state the obvious. God could have prevented these brothers from selling Joseph. God could have prevented Joseph from being falsely accused. God could have prevented Joseph from being thrown into prison, but it was all part of his plan. One of the things that will keep you from bitterness and revenge in your life when others hurt you and harm you and leave you holding the bag is this. No matter what is done to you, God will use it for your good. Secondly, consider that God is accomplishing his purpose for your life. Understand something about God's plan for your life. It wasn't drawn up last night. He's not making it up on the fly. God doesn't have to improvise or adjust. God's plan for you and me are wrapped around the purpose he has, not just for you and me, but for the entire world, before the world was even created. Remember this. God's plan is always in accordance with his purpose. There is a method to God's madness. God has a purpose in everything that he does. God not only has a plan he wants to achieve, he has a purpose he wants to accomplish. God does not react when things go wrong in your life. God does not react to anything. God acts before everything. God is funneling everything that happens to you and me to make sure that at the end of the day, his purpose is accomplished. It took Joseph 23 years to finally understand what that purpose was. Listen to the last part of our verse again. Genesis 50, verse 20. But God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. What lives was he referring to? Who needed to be saved? Earlier he said this to his brothers, Genesis 45, 7. But God sent me ahead of you to preserve for you a remnant on earth and to save your lives by great deliverance. Who was he talking to? He wasn't just talking to his brothers. He was talking to the seeds of the nation of Israel that needed to be planted so that God's purpose for this world to send a Savior could be fulfilled. You see, there was a seven-year worldwide famine 
Had God not put Joseph in the position he was in, the entire family of Joseph could have starved to death. Remember, Joseph's family was the seeds that needed to be planted so that God could harvest the nation of Israel, so that through Israel he could send the Savior of the world. If his brothers don't sell Joseph into slavery, he doesn't go to Egypt. If he doesn't go to Egypt, there is no Israel. If there is no Israel, there is no Jesus. If there is no Jesus, there is no salvation for the entire world. God's plan failed, and another plan needs to be considered. What about the promise to Abraham? Joseph didn't know what God was doing, but God knew what God was doing. Every day on the chessboard of Joseph's life, God was moving the pieces around to make sure his purpose would be accomplished. Joseph didn't know that one day a famine would come that could destroy his family. Joseph didn't know that God's purpose would put him in a position of such power that he could literally save an entire nation. But more importantly, He could save the family that would give way to the nation of Israel, that would give way to the Savior of the world. Let's rewind the tape. God had a purpose for that pit. God had a purpose for that plantation. God had a purpose for that prison. And it was all so that Joseph could be put into a palace where he would have the power and the authority to save a family, to save a nation, and to save a world. Every time Joseph was put where he didn't want to be, it was right where God wanted him to be because God had a bigger purpose in mind. God had bigger fish to fry than just the momentary difficulties in Joseph's life. He had a purpose that included sparing Joseph's family from a seven-year famine, bringing them to Egypt, where over the next 400 years they would be transformed from a family into a nation that would ultimately give birth to the Savior of the world. Remember this. God's plan for you is bigger than you and bigger than your plan for you. Things do not happen by coincidence. They happen by providence. If you're going through a difficult time in your life right now, you remember this. Psalm 138, 8 states, The Lord will fulfill His purpose for me. Third, consider that God is affirming His promise for your life. God has brought Joseph to the top of the mountain. He is at the pinnacle of his professional life. He is the prime minister of Egypt. His father and his brothers all answer to him. It didn't just happen this way. It had to happen this way. Do you know why? Several chapters earlier, we read this about Joseph as he was standing before his brothers. Genesis 42, 9 states in part, Then he remembered his dreams about them. What was that dream? It was the dream God gave him that all of his brothers and his father, in fact, an entire nation would bow at his feet. You see, God was keeping his promise. Before Joseph was even born, God made a promise to his grandfather, Abraham. He promised Abraham that out of him would come a mighty nation that would be the source, ultimately, of the salvation of the world. 
When God makes a promise, He will keep that promise even after you are dead and gone. God is not just in the promise-making business. He is in the promise-keeping business. Everything that happened to Joseph happened because God was keeping his promise. Listen, there is not a greater promise in the, in the Bible than this one. Romans 8.28 states, And we know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are the called according to his purpose. The same God that kept his promise to Joseph will keep his promise to us. The same God that was controlling every part of Joseph's life is controlling ours. He is still in the production of good business. Listen, you're going to be treated unfairly. You're going to experience injustice. You are going to be treated wrongly even when you do what is right. You're going to be left holding the short end of the stick. But the presence of problems never means the absence of God. When people are doing their worst to you, God is doing his best for you. When people are doing you wrong, God is making it right. Do you get what I'm saying? Nothing happens to you by random chance. Nothing happens to you because of bad luck. It is not coincidence. It is not the luck of the draw. God is in control and God is sovereign. You are never a victim of your circumstances. You are ultimately a victor over your circumstances. Listen, there is nothing random about your life. There is not one renegade molecule in the entire universe doing what it wants to do on its own. Because of the plan of God and the providence of God and the promise of God, every circumstance and every experience of your life fits into God's plan for you, for the world, and for the universe. Listen, God controls everything and everyone. God not only controls the orbit of the planets and the movement of the galaxies, but the clock, time, and the moments of life. He controls your friends, he controls your family, and he controls your enemies. It is one thing to take what is good and make it better. It's another thing to take what is better and make it the best. But God takes what is bad and makes it good. No matter how much you think it looks like your life is out of control, mark this down. God is in control. What if Joseph's brothers had not been filled with jealousy and hatred for him? He would have never been put in the pit and sold to those human traffickers. Or what if the human traffickers were headed away from Egypt and not to Egypt? He would have never been sold to Potiphar. Had he not been sold to Potiphar, he would have never encountered Potiphar's wife. Had he not encountered Potiphar's wife, he would have never gone to prison. Had he not gone to prison, he would not have met the man who would put him in touch with Pharaoh. Had he not met Pharaoh, he would have never interpreted his dream. Had he not interpreted his dream, he would have never become prime minister. If he had not become prime minister, there wouldn't have been an Israel, a Jesus, Christianity, and every chapter of human history would have had a totally different ending. 
But God is in control. Understand, this verse does not say, and God does not say, that all things are good. Kidnapping, racism, cheating, lying, divorce, incest, and murder are all bad things. There are a lot of bad things that would go into the puzzle of your life, but when the puzzle is completed, it won't spell bad, it will spell good. If you don't believe that still, I'll give you the greatest proof of all, and that is the cross of Jesus Christ. When the human race was doing its worst to God, the Son on the cross, God was doing his best for the human race. What was intended for evil, God intended for good. A Jewish rabbi sent a telegram to Albert Einstein to ask him if he believed in God. This is what Einstein replied. I believe in a God who reveals himself in the orderly harmony of what exists, but not in a God who concerns himself with the fates and the actions of human beings. Well, that is not the God of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph, or the Bible. The God of the Bible is intimately involved and completely in control of the fates and actions of every human being. Have you ever heard the saying, the devil is in the details? That is totally wrong. God is in the details, and I am so glad that he is. Amen? Our service is over. Remember as you go that we worship 24-7. We worship the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit because there is only one true God. Amen. God bless.